0: Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So imagine with me you have had a great night's rest. You're still in your bed asleep. It may be morning time, but, but you're, you're still in that, in that zone of maybe not quite awake but, 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 and, and not quite fully asleep, but in that wonderful moment right before you wake up of sort of just enjoying those last moments of, of being in your bed before it's time to get up. And in the midst of that tranquil, peaceful, precious moment... Someone burst into your bedroom and they utter this sentence which sends chills down the back of your spine. And this is what they say. Do you know what time it is? Because if they're asking that question, they already know the answer. You don't know what time it is. And when you hear that question in your ear, you immediately, the, 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 uh, the, the adrenaline starts flowing through your body, and anxiety just comes all over. You jump up because you realize whatever they're asking you, what, the reason why they're asking you that question is because you're not where you're supposed to be, or you're not ready for what is to come, and somehow you have let the alarm clock not go off, or you've, you've hit snooze too often, and now you're in trouble because you don't know what time it is. So in this passage, Paul is making the case to Christians, recognize what time it is so that you can respond appropriately, to be ready to respond to the gospel now. He's making the case that the night is ending, the day is coming, and we must be ready and awake with and for the gospel of Jesus. When you have have somewhere to be in the morning like school or work. You make plans to prepare to be ready on time. And those plans and to prepare to be ready on time don't happen in the moment. They happen really the, 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 the evening before. You plan to be here today, not this morning. You plan to be here yesterday. Yesterday as you went to bed at a certain time so that you knew that you could get up at a certain time, setting your alarm clock and all the things that you knew needed to happen so that you'd have enough time to not only get here but to be ready to get here. you got to have time to get out of bed and change out of your pajamas and put on your clothes and brush your teeth and comb your hair to get ready to present yourself to the world when you walk out the door. The morning ritual of getting ready is is a common experience throughout human history. So the the people that Paul was writing to, they would not have understood coming to church in an air conditioned car. They they would not have understood alarm clocks and and, and all those sort of things. But they would have understood getting up in the morning to get ready for work. And they would have understood getting ready in the morning to, to, to go to church. Those things are as common as anything else amongst the human experience that in order for you to get somewhere, you have to prepare. And there's a, there's a, there's a process of which you have to do to get ready to, to leave your house and, and enter, the, enter the world for, for the day. He's encouraging Christians in this passage to recognize that it is time to be ready for Jesus, to put away the things of the darkness, and to put on Jesus. So thinking through this passage, here's how I want to divide our time this morning. Number one, get ready. That's the the baseline call here. Get ready. Some of you are still in the bed, right, right? Some of you are still hitting the snooze bar. And the the word here is get up and get ready. It's time. Do you know what time it is? Then secondly, welcome the light. Turn on the lights, open the blinds, welcome the exposure that the light brings into your life. And then lastly, the command to, to, to put on Jesus. And we'll talk about how the command to put on Jesus is a positive and a negative, to put on Jesus and to put away the things of the world, But let's begin with getting ready. So you'll see that in just the first two verses that we read. So look back in your passages in your Bibles to verse 11 and 12 where he says, Besides this, you know the time. I hope you know the time is what he's saying. That the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. The alarm is going off, in other words. For salvation is near to us now than when we first believe. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So a couple of things about getting ready is that there's a recognition that the opportunity is now, that presently the opportunity is now. My, my granddad used to love to say, you better dance while the band is playing. And he meant by that is that when the, you have an opportunity, you better take it because it will not last forever. And so when the band's playing, you better dance because the band won't play Forever, Paul is saying now is the time to respond to the gospel, and there is an urgency to this plea to awaken because Paul understands that many are in danger of missing the opportunity. Now, friends, I I can't I could spend all day on this because I just sense the weight of this point. Is that we some of you and many of our friends and family are squandering this moment because they don't understand the urgency of this moment. Now is the time. Paul says, listen, night is going and day is here. It is time to awaken, to get up, to respond to the gospel. This is not the time to put your feet up and hit snooze again. This is not the time to think it's okay for another ten minutes to pass. This is the moment of opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus. We tend to see the world as permanent. In other words, we tend to see the world as It's been this way for a long time. We can't ever remember it being any other way. And so we assume that this world will continue in the way that we know it now forever and ever and ever. But this is a false assurance. Forgiveness of our sins has been provided for by Jesus. And now is the opportunity to receive that salvation. But that opportunity will not remain forever. That's the urgency here. This opportunity to be forgiven of your sins, to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus will not last forever. The salvation that Paul speaks of in verse 11 is specifically the second coming of Jesus. In other words, he says, listen, we are closer now than we've ever been before to Jesus returning, the judgment coming and the end of times coming to to us. When that day comes, the opportunity for salvation will be no more. I'm convinced that when Jesus returns, that there will be many who honestly, wholeheartedly will say, oh, I was about to do something. I know that because when we wake up our children and they don't get up and we go back to their room and we say, why aren't you up? They always say, oh, I was about to. We're always about to do something, aren't we? And I'm convinced when Jesus comes back, there will be people who, in all honesty, will say, I was about to respond to the gospel. But the tragedy of that moment is that opportunity at that moment will be no more. And many of those folks will be people who had opportunity after opportunity and call after call in their life. And they squander those moments because they did not know what time it was. Friends, listen to me carefully on this point. To reject the gospel today, believing that there remains time to safely remain in sin, is to reject the Lord and the gift of grace. So if what's running through your head today is, I, 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 can, I can wait because I think it's safe. You're saying, I think it's safe for me to remain in my sin because I've got an opportunity for tomorrow. That in itself is a decision to reject the Lord and the gift of grace today. As we wait on the Lord, it seems as though it is taking a long time, but I believe that in the day of his return, that our wait will seem like it was very short. The day is near and the night is almost gone, and it will not remain much longer. Do you know what time it is? Friends, today is the day of action. Now, Paul doesn't does not say that this is this is a way to, to pressure you, and I want you to understand the difference here. He's not trying to pressure you. He's trying to warn you. To pressure a decision is to push someone to make a decision now that should be delayed or more thoroughly thought through. Somebody's trying to sell you something. They're always telling you this is the last one. And if you don't buy this one, there won't be any more. When you hear that, you need to turn around and walk away because they're pressuring you into making a decision that you probably ought to think more about. But to warn someone is to make known an impending danger and plead for action. To warn them. The train is barreling down. I'm not trying to pressure you to get off the tracks. No, I'm warning you to get off the tracks. So the warning here is that the night is almost over. That the day is coming. That the present reality is coming to a conclusion. And that you must prepare for what is to come. For Paul and the people of his time, darkness of night was restrictive. In other words, they didn't have, they didn't have headlights on the front of their cars. They didn't have uh, electric lights in their home and street lights down the street. So when, when, when night came, your only light was an oil lamp, which meant you were pretty restrictive in where you went. Most people went to the house and stayed at the house until morning came. With the invention of the electric light, man has been able to do more in darkness of night than ever before. But we still do most of our work in the day, don't we? Day still, to, to this very day, I think it's because of the created order of God, is when we naturally want to do our work, and at night is when we naturally want to be at home. I was telling Dana, I so said, one of the things that I, I, I can I notice about myself that has changed from when maybe I was in college versus now, is when I was in college... Nine o'clock was when my evening started, right? Now, as it starts getting dusk, there's just something inside of me that says, Oh, we got to go to the house. It's getting to be nighttime. We're supposed to be home at nighttime. That's part of the created order of God and part of getting old, too. Amen. Because those dynamics are still true, even in a world of electric lights and all kind of technology... The illustration still communicates that the meaning that as daybreak approaches, we are to prepare to be in the light. To get ready. Way back in the Old Testament when Joshua was speaking to the people of his day, he said these words, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if the evil, if it and if it is evil in your sight to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers serve the region or beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, in other words, today's the day for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Today's the day of action. Get ready. Number two, welcome the light. Now Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, "Let us walk properly as in the daytime." Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So what does he mean by walking properly? Well, clearly he means not doing those those things that he listed, the sexual immorality and the quarreling, those things, but but what does he mean by walking properly? Well, I think the very baseline he means is that we are to walk in the exposure of light. To walk in the light. Light reveals what is true. Light does not change anything. When you turn the lights on, nothing that you then can see is different than what it was in the darkness. But what light does is it exposes what is already there. It exposes what is true, it reveals what is true. And there is a principle that where there is more light, there is more clearly, more clearly what is there, what is true, is exposed. At First, this sounds good to most who study this passage, but Paul recognizes that light reveals sin, that darkness has obscured. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians here saying, lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the the armor of light. This is what I understand about just the human nature. We'll talk a good game about being exposed by the light, but we really like the shadows. We really like the shadows. A couple of examples just in your own house that you probably do. Somebody calls you last minute and says, hey, I'm going to come over for a visit. Now, I know all of you keep your house ready for visitors all the time. Praise God for you. We do not. So we'll shut some doors, amen? We'll stuff some stuff behind the shower curtain and close the shower curtain and pray they don't peek behind it. There's some doors in our house that guests have never seen behind because we're appreciating the shadows, amen? Amen. Those are the ugly parts. Those are the unclean parts. Those are the parts that we haven't straightened up. Those are the parts we've just thrown stuff in to make the parts that the guests are going to see look as if we live like that all the time. Now the truth of it is, all of us have areas in our life that we appreciate the shadows. Those areas in our life that if exposed would embarrass us. Those areas in our life that if revealed would make us ashamed. In the darkness of this world, some things do not seem as shameful as they Do when exposed by the light. Thus, there is an uncomfortableness with the exposure of light. But, friends, we are not to live according to what is acceptable in the darkness. Did you hear me? We may be more comfortable in the shadows, but we are not to live as those, we are not to live according to what is acceptable in the darkness. We are to live according to what is holy in the darkness. The light. So let the light of the gospel shine into every part of your life. Live now according to the light of truth. That's what I think he means when he says, walk appropriately as in the light, that we are to, we are to welcome the, the exposure of the light. In, our lives. in fact, I would even say that we are to step out of darkness as we reject wickedness. So, so the, verse 13 is, a, 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 um, is a, a either or. So, in verse 13, he says, um, says, Let us walk properly as in the day. And then the negative is, in other words, we're to walk properly out in the exposure of the light. We are not. To, to live in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling and, and jealousy. So welcome the exposure of the light and step out of the darkness or, to, or reject wickedness. To reject wickedness is an active decision, not, to, uh, n- not a foregone conclusion. In other words, this is not something that just happens by, by default. This is a participatory decision. You have chosen to, to walk in the light. You must reject the wickedness of this world. You must refrain from what the, what the world celebrates. In the present darkness, these things seem Desirable. All of these things, carousing, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, strife, and jealousy. Those things are celebrated. There are a whole television shows built on nothing but those things. You make money today in these things. But in the light of day, these things will be revealed for the shameful and wickedness that they are. Living in the light means rejecting the things of the darkness. Have no part of them. Take no pleasure in them. Welcome the uncomfortable exposure of the light. But then one last thing here. He says, put on Jesus. So all this summer, I'm preaching a series on things that we ought to take off and that we ought to put on. And the last verse, he says, put on Jesus. Look what he says in verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify Jesus its desires. So just two things about putting on Jesus. First, I think what he's saying here is that we ought to actively follow Jesus. Actively follow Jesus. The phrase that Paul uses is to to put on the Lord Jesus. This does not mean that this is something that you can put on and, and conversely take off. It's not like a coat, not like a hat. No, the idea here is that Putting on the Lord Jesus means that he becomes, you become more like him, that you receive by faith who he is and everything that he is, and everything about Jesus saturates who you are. This is a contrast that Paul is making in verse 14. Put on Jesus, starve the flesh. So to put on Jesus means that you put on Jesus in what you think about. Those thoughts that are in your head that are secret to the entire rest of the world. Put on Jesus that even your thoughts are honorable to him. Put on Jesus in what you watch. Not just on the big screen in your den, but even the small screen that is on your phone in your pocket. Put on Jesus in what you read. Put on Jesus in what you listen to. Put on Jesus in your marriage. Put on Jesus in your labor, your work. Put on Jesus in your family. Put on Jesus in your hobbies. Put on Jesus in how you spend your money. Put on Jesus in the way you spend your time. Put on Jesus in every part of your life. Now listen to me. If you've got areas of your life, this is Jesus section, and this is not, you've not put on Jesus. Did you hear me? I hope you you come to church today. Praise God for that. So maybe this is Jesus' time in your life. Maybe you got something else to do this afternoon. Or maybe Monday, you're already planning, planning to do some things, and you know right now those are not areas where you put on Jesus. That's not what this passage means. To put on Jesus means every area of your, every area of your life is saturated by, controlled by, testified to, putting on Jesus. That the presence of Jesus and the redemption of the gospel permeate everything and every part of who you are and what you do. Put on Jesus. Now, there, this, the other side of that is to actively deny the flesh. You might even say to starve the flesh. To put on Jesus does not mean that Christians do not struggle with sin. Oh, I wish that was true, but it's not. If Jesus permeates every part of your life, praise God. But that does not mean that you don't struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle with thoughts between your ears. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle with desires that are not righteous and holy. But what Paul says here, notice what he says. You put on Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. Have you ever noticed how when we fail in an area of sin, we always present it as if it just kind of happened by mistake in our life? I mean, in everything. Well, I didn't mean to get drunk. You spent all afternoon drinking, but you didn't mean to get drunk. Right? Somehow, we want to present it as if it just happened to us. We didn't participate. We don't know how it happened. It just happened. Almost as if we're an innocent bystander. But you know the reality of it is? If we were honest with ourselves and bearing a good testimony, the end result of sin always had a long lead up or preparation for that sin. Oh, We put ourselves in a wrong spot. We bought things that we ought not to buy, uh, purchase. We, we hung around some folks that we ought not to have hung around. We listened to, watched, and participated in things we ought not to have participated in. And so then when all of a sudden we did fall into sin, it wasn't an isolated event. Oh, it was a prepared for, fed event that we made provisions for. So recognizing that Christians continue to struggle with sin, Paul commands that we make no provisions for the flesh. The word there that is translated provisions means to think about something ahead of time. That's the key there. With the implication that one can respond appropriately, uh, to, to give attention beforehand, to have in mind to do a foresight. So in other words, when Paul says make no provision, in other words, don't even plan, you don't have to be planning for sin in your life. Now, friends, listen to me. Temptations towards sin will always be present. Oh, a good friend of mine, but many, many years ahead of me in age, looked at me one time and he says, Ben, you never get too old for sin. It is always a present danger in your life. That's disappointing to me. I would love to be able to say, man, if you can make it to 90 years old, you don't have to worry about temptations anymore. But that's just the reality of living in a fallen world. Therefore, we should make no room or plans for sin. In other words, we don't, not only do we not plan for sin, but we plan ahead to avoid it and keep from it. When you find yourself planning and thinking toward things that do not honor God, recognize that as sin and repent and confess it on the spot. Do not plan for sin. Do not prepare for sin, but actively prepare for righteousness and plan for holiness. Put on Jesus and deny the flesh. Put on Jesus and deny the flesh. So in recent years, in a general sense, our culture has grown more and more casual in what is appropriate dress out in public. Now, if you've not recognized that, that just means you're not old enough to remember when it wasn't this way. There used to be a day when people would wear coat and ties and Sunday dresses to football games. Now, I feel sorry for that in South Georgia. It's hot out there. It used to be that when you went, when you were gonna fly commercial airlines, you also wore a coat and tie and a dress. And I don't know if you've flown recently, but it's not that way anymore. In fact, if you go to any uh, airport in the United States of America today and just sit and watch the people pass you by, There'll be people that you honestly believe just got out of the bed, and what they were uh, sleeping in wasn't even appropriate for the privacy of their home, but they're walking around the airport in it. We're long past dressing up for, for flight. Now the reality of it is, we're in a culture that that has has moved more more casual in every area, and 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 that's. That's neither here nor there, but, but it's interesting that even as our culture has grown more casual, we've not rejected completely the importance of uniforms and, and identifying dress. And if you'll notice that those who, who perform activities and jobs that, that have great responsibility or great authority, those positions have tended to remain uh, customary for them to wear some type of identifying uniform. So judges still wear their robes. Police officers still wear their uniforms. Airline pilots still wear their uniforms. Soldiers still wear their uniforms. Now, when a soldier is in uniform, he's not just an individual warrior. Just thought he'd wake up that morning and go fight a war. No, he represents the country in whose uniform he wears. And the uniform makes clear his allegiance It makes clear whose order he obeys and it makes clear what authority he has over those that he commands. So I think when Paul is telling us to put on Jesus, he's calling us like a soldier in uniform to identify with Jesus. You put on Jesus. Putting on Jesus identifies who you're allegiant to, that you are submissive to the commands of Jesus. When when you you put on Jesus, you're you're testifying that you obey Jesus and you're not obeying the desires of your flesh. Makes clear that you are obedient to the Lordship of Jesus and not your own will. Friends, each one of you in this room this morning is having to make a decision daily. Do you know what time it is? If you do, then the call is to get ready to welcome the light of truth into your life and to put on Jesus and be ready for action.